0: Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Rocklin, Managing Partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, this podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups. We'll uncover the stories behind the struggles, the ups, the downs guided from the view of an entrepreneur. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. All right, my guest today is Martin Perez, the founder of Pet Chef. For those of you who don't know, Pet Chef is a D2C company offering a subscription service of healthy foods for your furry friend. Thank you very much for being here, Martin.
1: No, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So tell me,
0: I I always want to know, take me back. How did you become an entrepreneur in the first place? And how did you settle upon pet food as the area that you wanted to focus on?
1: Wow, that's a bit of a... A long story, but uh, as as a summary, when I was 16 years old, uh, I lost my my uncle and my aunt. They passed away. The two kids came to live with my family. And shortly after, I lost my dad. Uh, Back then, I was still in high school. Uh, My mom went to a depression, so I dropped high school. Like Nobody will give me a job or a proper job so I could take care of my family. So the only option I had was to try to build something of my own. And that's how I became an entrepreneur. Um, at the beginning, I built like the only thing I knew back then when I was 16 was about video games. And back in my country in Uruguay, we had these uh, card games and playstations and all of that. So I ended up renting a house with a with a few friends, and we built a club for other kids to come and play video games and magic cards <laughs> and role games. And since then, I've been by my own building. Yeah, NGOs and companies. So I think yeah, life put me there somehow. Uh yeah, m- many years ago. And that was the beginning. Like I-, I did many, many things during, I don't know, that was maybe 20 years ago. So I-, I tried different startups. Some of them worked, some of them didn't work. And back in 2017, I started chef Um yeah, after maybe six other ventures that I did before. So, yeah, it's been quite a a journey, I would say, in those 20 years in in different stuff, mainly like tech companies Mm -hmm. and digital companies. And then when I was here in Malaysia, I I was living with these two friends, and we had a dog, and I I always loved nature. And I always wanted to do something around animals and nature and conservation. That is one of my big passions. And that's how we we came up with Pachaf. We had this dog that we were feeding healthy food. Our friends were asking about that. So then we start saying, okay, maybe there is an opportunity to, to do something. So we built a, a first pilot and we saw that, uh, yeah, the problem was way bigger in Malaysia than what we thought. And then we decided to, to start it as a, as a company.
0: I I find this journey really interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it starts, it starts off obviously with, with some tragedy in your life, but then you, you by necessity become an entrepreneur. You navigate through it. You, you basically kind of bootstrap yourself up. Uh, and find the opportunities in order to be able to to continue on. And then fast forward, you've launched a number of different businesses. I'm curious, is there like a through line, a a connection amongst all of the different businesses that you've done? Is there a similarity in regards to the industry or is it very sort of opportunistic as things happen? You just kind of naturally know when and where to take advantage of of things.
1: I think early stage... I didn't even consider myself an entrepreneur. I didn't even know the world. You know, for me it was like I need to make some money and do something in order to support my family, to contribute. So back then I didn't even know, yeah, uh, not even what's an industry. You know, I was like uh, quite young. Uh, so for me at the beginning, I would say until maybe late twenties, I think it was more about uh, building something like uh, having some financial freedom and doing something that will will help me and the people around me. So it was a bit, I will not say like 100% selfish because it was also to help the people around me, but I was not really thinking bigger than than that or which industry I like or not. It was more like, okay, I think I can make this work and it can pay me and, and help me to pay some debts and some other stuff that my family had. Um, now, in more in the later stage, I'm trying to do more stuff around education and conservation. And I will say that the... At least for me, what is really important in in a startup or or any project that I'm I'm joining is that it has a big purpose of of doing something better for every stakeholder that is part of it, for the employees of the company, for the customers. And I truly mean it. It's not that, "Ah, okay, I will sell whatever it is because it will make money and then I will use that money for CSR. No, I, I want to make something that in every step is helping. It's helping the customer. It's helping the employee. it's helping mm-hmm. the investors and helping like everyone that's part of it. So that's kind of the comment for me. About the industry, I have some that I like a bit more, but I, I'm not attached to to any industry. I'm more, m- more looking at the problems that I'm trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, usually it's around conservation, education. Those are the, the main two topics that I, I like the most.
0: Okay, okay. So, you know, there's, there's a couple of things that I want to unpack out of this I guess the, I guess the first one is you know I hear a lot of times from entrepreneurs that they struggle around availability of resources when getting started you started at a very young age. How did you overcome the aspect of resource constraint uh, because many people view that you need to have deep pockets to start something in the first place
1: well, I think it can be true that you need deep pockets if you are trying to build some like heavy tech or any AI or any, I don't know, science project where you need to spend a lot of money in research to try to build a product and then after see if there is fit. In that case, yes, you need a lot of funding. And I do believe that the access to funding uh, is not uh, for everyone. uh, And not everyone can access all the funding to start big projects when you need to invest a lot up front. But if you're looking about different problems on different things that you can start, in our case, like selling pet food, right? We get a customer, the customer pays. With that money, you buy the ingredients and you start cooking it. <laughs> so depending on what you are doing, there are ways how you can be resourceful and you can start building stuff. So I guess it depends a lot on the idea. I guess for the SaaS space where you need to get a lot of developers and build a mm-hmm. product and build a pilot, it will take a lot of resources. Um, and yeah, in those cases, I, I do understand it can be more difficult. Um, but there are many ways to find it. You know, there are many people looking into also building it. You don't need to be a solo founder. If you have like a big ambition to build like a software company or a tech product, usually teamwork is the answer to to resources. You know, you can find some angels or you can find some partners or some mm-hmm. co-founders. Uh, and I think that's the way of of being resourceful because, yeah, it's not just... Just the money that, that yeah, is hard to find for, for new crazy ideas. Sure, sure.
0: And so, so you're originally from Uruguay. How long ago did you come to Malaysia? And did you live in any other countries uh, in between?
1: Yes, uh, originally from Uruguay. I lived for a while in Brazil. Then I moved to Chile. Then I moved to Canada. Then I moved to Spain. Then I moved to Kenya. Then I moved to France. Then I moved to Russia. And then I moved to Malaysia. Wow, <laughs> and before COVID, I was like in and out from from Malaysia, like a bit in in Singapore, or I will go to other countries. Uh, so yeah, I've been I've been traveling all around. Um, okay, yeah. When a... I was twenty, I would like say twenty five, twenty six. I saw the company that I had back in Chile, mm-hmm. and then I decided I I wanted to to travel around the world. Um, back then I couldn't even speak English so my thinking was I would start going to Canada so I can learn proper English because remember I dropped high school before Um, so I just went there I started volunteering for different charities and doing Mm -hmm. some like uh, consulting and stuff Uh, and since then yeah I couldn't stop traveling.
0: Wow wow it's 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 really all over the place and so so now you've been in Malaysia for how many years Uh, just before the pandemic is it?
1: No, a bit over 10 years. A bit uh, over but, 10 years, okay. Yeah, but half of the time I would say I would be traveling, so it doesn't count as 10 years.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but using it as kind of like the home base in order to facilitate yeah. the the, the it, travels, yeah?
1: Where I live, my luggage is, is Malaysia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: very cool and so over the course of the years that you've been in malaysia what what's 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 kind of been the the entrepreneurial journey that's led up to pet chef so you you, you had said that you had a friend and you had started feeding feeding your dog uh, and then more people started asking you about it what was what t- tell me a little bit more more around around that side of it
1: yes um yeah that was more or less uh, 4 years ago uh, end of 2017 Mm-hmm. so we had this dog we were always cooking like healthy food for for the dog his name is Monty he's a, a beautiful corgi uh, and then friends were asking around hey what are you feeding him and then we were sharing that we got these recipes from nutritionists that we were cooking it ourselves so we just freeze it and then we can feed it to him um, and then a lot of people started asking "Ah, can you buy that and then we were, ah, no, we just do it ourselves so that's more or less uh, for, for a few years It was it was like that mm-hmm. and then we we came with the idea. Okay, let's test it out and see if this can be a um, a good idea, like to sell it as a service, and let's start researching about the market. And then when we start doing that, we like two things were really really interesting for us. One is that we start asking people, "What are you feeding your pet?" And they will say, "I'm using whatever this popular brand of uh, dry food, like kibbles." Mm-hmm. And we ask, "Is that good for them or is bad for them?" And then people say, no, no, that's good for them. That's what the vet recommended, or that's what I saw on TV, or that's what uh, my parents were giving to the pet. Mm-hmm. So everyone believed that that's the way to go. And then when you start, like, like if you know about the topic of nutrition, you know that heavily processed food is, is not good for them, right? And when you start looking into pet food, you see it has a lot of fillers. It's like cooked really with hot temperatures, and it's using a lot of artificial ingredients and coloring and flavoring. So... People really assume that that's the way to go, but it's not. So that is something that we wanted to change. So when we realize that a lot of people, they don't even know about it, and they think it's the only way, we say, okay, there is an opportunity here to, not necessarily to build a business, but at least to have some positive impact and to try to change something that can be better. Mm-hmm. And then the other part is that we did a pilot, and we start asking Friends of friends, if they will subscribe, because we didn't want to ask our friends because they always say, yeah, sure, I will do it. But because they are your friends, <laughs> yeah. so we have friends of friends, if they would like to, if they would like to to test it. And we say, we are just selling for one month. Mm-hmm. Our idea was, let's get 10 people and let's ask them, hey, we are just doing it for a month. Will you be keen on, on paying for one month? We will send you the four. Then they say, yes. Then by the end of the month, we ask, hey, would you like to continue? And from the 10 we got, eight of them say, yes, I would like to do it. And that's when we thought, okay, people is liking the idea, is liking the service. Uh, let's let's see how we can build it into a venture.
0: Okay, okay. So yeah, that's a, that's a good rate. I, I, I like the aspect that you try to go the friends of friends because oftentimes you get a yes, but you don't actually get somebody that's willing to pay because it's a friend. Though of course they're going to say yes, and so then you get eight out of ten, which is a which is a good percentage of the people that end up continuing on. And then you want to go out to market. What's the what's the next step? Well, how did you end up validating it in the broader market? And how did you end up constructing your go-to-market strategy?
1: Well, back then, we were still running everything from the living room and the kitchen. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this, imagine, is like in, in a Malaysian house, like in a normal house, like uh, <laughs> we were doing everything there, right? So back then, we started building like a basic website that was mainly like a landing page with a uh-huh. logo that we did like in like quite fast. And then we started um, testing it with some partnerships. So we went to a few other organizations that already had a lot of pet owners say, Hey, we are launching this. We can give you this discount to all your members. Can you blast it there? And Mm -hmm. then this is how we started getting the first customers. And as orders were coming in, then we were starting to scale the operation. So we got another person to cook. Then we got another person to take care of the customers And then we we were hiring the roles as as the company was uh, getting more and more revenue. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we started with with those partnerships. And then what we started doing was, okay, now we need to find a proper name for the company, a proper logo for the company. Let's build a proper system. Uh, We were still discussing a lot if we want to go to the e-commerce and try Mm -hmm. to sell like, hey, buy one bag. And, and that's it. Or if we wanted to do it more as a subscription, uh, and we decided to stick to the subscription part um, because we we believe to truly have an impact with uh, the health of your dog or your cat. Uh, food should be a lifestyle, and it's not like a one-off. So if we wanted to really educate people and help people to have like pets that are healthier and living longer, mm-hmm. the subscription model made more sense for us like so we can invest more time on educating the customers and the leads explain why this is different why in the long term is going to be better for the pet
0: um, right right and there's yeah. the consistency because it's consumable it's food so your pet is going to eat a relatively consistent amount day after day after day so as far as creating a subscription product there's a predictability in regard to the quantity that an individual is going to need for over the course of of time yeah
1: yeah hopefully like that's what's for many many years with us so that's uh, our our ambition
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And, you know,
0: because you touched on the topic of processed foods and the need for healthy food, there's an aspect of uh, consumer education, let's say. And so when you're thinking about getting a broader audience and selling the subscription service further out acquiring customers, did you have to do any sort of campaign to educate the general population, the pet owners that are out there?
1: Well, yes, and that's our struggle until now. Uh, It's the same issue, right? It's ninety-seven percent of the people are still feeding the heavily processed food for pets, Uh, and yeah, it's about. It's not about showing them, hey, there is this food, but they need to understand behind why this food is different. And like all companies, right? It's it's easy to put a banner on Facebook Mm -hmm. or a few keywords on Google and get people to go there, but to truly help customers and leads to, to understand why this is different and make the right choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a lot of effort, yeah. So in our case, we try a bunch of different things, um, creating a few videos and a few landing pages that are talking about the different products. Mm-hmm. But what is working the most is during the sales process when people come and become a lead, we, we build this team of uh, pet nutrition advisors that are talking to the customer and, and explaining everything. And it takes a lot of time. But after that, the conversion is is good and the retention is really good. Okay. But we try to to do it a lot one on one, talking to them, chatting to them, jumping on calls with the customers. Okay. Okay. Uh, but still learning about that. That's, I would say, is the biggest challenge we have.
0: Okay. I I have I have to guess, and 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 perhaps this is this is something that you that you have to do in the early days. But you know, when you start talking about the one on one conversations. You know, my head starts going into the aspect of, wow, this could be costly in order to convert one individual customer, the salary of a person in a day, uh, in order to have say five, 10 conversations, how is that converting over? Is this something that can, that concerns you? Are you looking at trying to figure out how can you productize that, automate that, standardize that, or is it something that you feel you just need to build the initial, uh, inertia, behind the company?
1: Yes. Um, we tested also like a, a bunch of different models. Uh, at one point, we had six people doing this job. Right mm-hmm. now we have like uh, one people, one, one person like doing it uh, in a chatbot that we trained quite a lot and we automated a lot of the, the messages and we invested a lot in tech to really understand and filter better what are the problems the customers like the pets are experiencing and connecting that with the the solution because food is everything, right? But but how that is is helping, for example, a, a dog that is having a kidney issue, mm-hmm. even if the food is the same, the how the, the right nutrition is helping that case is different. Or a, mm-hmm. a cat that is overweight, right? So we did a more work into tech to really assess what is the issues that the pets are facing and then we have all the materials ready to have a smooth conversation with them. Mm-hmm. So Investing into technology is helping us uh, a lot to be able to to cope with many cases with uh, with more tech and less humans.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that's that's the that ends up becoming the more scalable. Uh, approach because the 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 more that you can automate some of those processes but nonetheless i i I think what you're saying makes sense in regards to the need to have that the feeling of the personal touch in order to get somebody over uh the hurdle and willing to jump on with the subscription yeah
1: and because most of the people are feeding their pets the same popular brands the mm-hmm. health issues are quite repetitive like we already know what are the common issues
0: okay. uh, for okay. cats
1: and for dogs so usually we need uh, humans to jump in when it's a specific condition that is is more genetic or something but when it's mm-hmm. a nutritional like the common issues caused by by nutrition um yeah it's is pretty straightforward for us
0: Okay. Okay. So you you have on staff nutritionists that are able to help advise. They also influence the, the different recipes. How many different varieties of food uh, are you able to offer? Is it specific to medical conditions or how, how do you construct the menus?
1: Yeah, we have around 15 different recipes. And then what we have is uh, treats and different supplements like uh, salmon oil and different broths for healthy dogs and cats. They will fall into all these these recipes. Mm-hmm. And for most of the common health issues, it, it's the same with humans. You know, there, there are many issues that if you're eating, let's say, McDonald's every day or Burger King every day, yeah, probably it's a bit cheap, probably it's tasty enough, but probably you will have like some health issues in the long term, right? So when you remove all of that, let's say if you have overweight or if you have mm-hmm. like uh, heart issues, well, heart issues is a bit depending on the degree, right? But but let's say many of the common health issues cause because of this heavily processed food. Mm-hmm. When you change the diet, most of them they will get back on track. Okay. Uh, so I would say unless it's really serious conditions, then you need some prescribed. Um, but it's not that much that the food is the issue. The issue is that in those cases you already need medicine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but for yeah early stage of most of the diseases and everything that is caused by by the wrong nutrition, yeah. all these recipes will be suitable for for pets. Um, okay. You need to see in some cases they may have an allergy, let's say to chicken, and then you you go with a beef recipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in general, is is suitable for for all pets.
0: And how do you find relationships with the veterinarians as well? Because oftentimes, you, you know, you referenced it earlier on that oftentimes the the vet will recommend particular food brands. Sometimes they'll even have coupons for those brands, which maybe they're being sponsored, maybe they're not. I'm not sure. Uh, but how how have you found getting relationships with those doctors in order to address some of these health issues caused by food?
1: Yeah, we are getting started with that. So we don't have yet much experience, but we find more and more vets who truly understand that the cause of many things is the wrong nutrition or or the wrong food that you are giving to the pets. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's following humans, you know, it's the same. Like uh, for doctors, it's the same. If you're eating like like really bad food every day, uh, the doctor will say, you should cut this. You know, if you're taking too much coffee or alcohol or or eating, I don't know, too much carbs. Hey, you probably should change that. So it's the same with vets. And in general, they are happy to know that there are more offers. Mm-hmm. Because before, the only options they had were those prescribed keyboards. Like no one will, will offer that, or or you need to tell the customer, hey, cook yourself. And then the customer doesn't know what to cook, <laughs> doesn't know where to source the ingredients. Yeah.
0: Right?
1: So in general, they are being quite happy. And and something that is fascinating is that most of the of the vets. Uh, in the U.S. It, it's even more, I don't remember exactly the number, but most of the veterinarians, the owners, are actually the pet food companies. Mm. And they're using the vet as the main distribution channel for something that is called prescribed uh, kibbles, that yeah. is kibbles with medicine, that you cannot find in the supermarket or anywhere mm. else. You just find it through the vet, and the vets get really big commissions on that. Yeah. So every time you go with a medical issue, magically there is some a good kibble there for that specific condition with really high margins
0: yeah 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 it's maybe uh, maybe maybe not the most uh, straightforward of business models of that the consumers don't really realize that i'm not sure if it happens the same same here but i know in the us there's a, there's a number of uh, aspects that end up happening along those sort of lines. Let, let, yeah. let, me, let me ask another question, because you're creating food products, but the food products are for pets, for cats and dogs. Are there regulatory hurdles in order to get approval for kind of safety eat? I know when you're talking about for human consumption, you have to pass certain uh, requirements. Is there similar for pets?
1: It is similar, but it's, it's really... Easy to pass. Like the, mm. the standard that you have in, in most of the countries are pretty easily to achieve. Like the American standard for, for pet food, like we surpass that by, I don't know, in some categories, like up to 10 times uh, better the, the minimum standard. Uh, so it's my, my opinion is that it should be more regulated because it's quite easy to put whatever leftovers and coloring and stuff and make it pass as, as pet food. And, and it shouldn't be like that. I think what some companies are doing is really nasty and and should be more regulated. Um, but it's not. Yeah, here in Malaysia, it's not as regulated as human food. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I'm not sure about other countries, but in general, is is less requirements than human food. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So,
0: so I guess let's, let's, let's transition back to growing the business and all of this. So you, you started off in the house, cooking out of the kitchen, as things develop, you end up going out to market, you're, you're getting customers, you're acquiring them. Are you still cooking in the kitchen or do you now have a facility uh, where you're operating out of?
1: Yes, we we have now a facility and, and we move already since that house. We already move uh, spaces four times. Okay. And if everything okay. goes well in the next month, we are moving again. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay.
1: Uh, yeah, Upgrade each time. Yeah. Yeah. Getting uh, more space and okay. and also we need a uh, quite a bit of space for uh, machines and for storage because okay. all the food we produce is uh, frozen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we are every I would say every year almost we are moving to, to a newer place. Okay, yeah.
0: so you're 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 cooking the the food fresh, and then you're freezing it afterwards. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and then we it... deliver it frozen okay. uh, with our riders. So we have a team of riders as well. Okay, uh, yeah, we do everything: cooking, like sourcing the ingredients, cooking it, packing, it, and then we send it to to the customers. And then we also follow up with them, like, hey, how is your dog like in the food? Did it transition properly? Any questions? You will notice this in the long term. By the third month, you will see that. The skin is getting better. The weight mm-hmm. is regulating, and then if something happens, they usually reach out to us. Okay, my dog, I don't know, went outside and um, I don't know this happened, and then they they ask for advice uh, quite quite often. So it's it's really fun.
0: Okay, very interesting yeah. very interesting do you, do you fi- do you find you know when you when you are manufacturing you know you you've been scaling up you've been increasing the size of your facility you know because it's subscription based is is that enabling you to better manage the inventory side of it the raw materials the inputs because you have this predictable stream because you're only managing towards subscribers
1: yeah, yeah, that's really convenient. Uh, let us know in advance how much we need to prepare, how much we need to deliver, so we can anticipate uh, everything. Like, I don't know, even people, they, we build this dashboard where they can handle the the deliveries and the subscriptions. Mm-hmm. So even if there is a Chinese New Year, like a few weeks ago, we know that they will be traveling, that during that week we need to postpone the delivery or we need to send it to the house of the sister. So it's really interesting. Yeah, because it helps us to... To optimize also how we cook, you know, we know that, okay, uh, we can focus on this recipe for these few days and build stock, and then we switch to this one. Um, Sure. And the more it grows, it it helps us to be better in in how we produce the food as well and, and how we plan the routes for the deliveries. Okay. And so you, you
0: mentioned something as well that after throughout the subscription, you're, you're regularly reaching out to the customers to get an understanding about the improvements in the health and so forth. And you talked about kind of implementing more layers of technology in, in the customer service and the customer support. How are you managing that? Is, is it, is it e- email surveys? Is it an individual reaching out? How are you managing that post-purchase support?
1: Yeah. Uh, get started with the email and the WhatsApp notifications. Mm-hmm. But we have like a, a chatbot that will will send the email like the the different emails or messages based on on when they subscribe and what's the condition. And then after that, a human will take over. If if there is something like for example, if the pet is not adjusting uh, after three months to the new diet and is having some issues that we need to 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 listen more and to advise better, mm-hmm. then we will will human will take over. Okay. Uh, but if not, it's, it's tech-based.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you're, you're utilizing this this feedback in the product development cycle in order to demonstrate internal metrics. How, how do you use that in order to drive your decision-making?
1: Uh, it was different at different stages, right? At the beginning, we were focusing a lot on making sure that the recipe is great and that we have a good food that is, is not just healthy, but also that the pets and cats are like cats and dogs are liking it because with oh, cats, yeah. we have a lot of issues that food is super healthy and then they will be really picky. Mm-hmm. And then we will have like I don't know, eight recipes and cats will end up liking like one or two. Right. So we, we will take all that feedback to keep improving the the different recipes and make sure that the pets are, are not just healthy, but also enjoying the food a lot. Okay. Uh, so at the early stage was a lot, a lot of focus on the on the product itself and how to make it better now later stage is more around um, understanding if we are truly living up to our promise that okay your pet will be healthier in the long term so we try to measure like when they came to pet chef i don't know they will be overweight they will have some skin issues and mm-hmm. they will be i don't know uh, having uh i don't know level one of uh, kidney issues And then we start monitoring that during time to see if we are truly helping pets to live longer, to be healthier, and and people not going so often to the vet. Um, Also, because we love to share those success cases, you know, Mm -hmm. that people people love their pets. And and for many people, their pets are part of the family. Uh, And a lot of people struggle a lot going to the vet, and they go every few months, and they don't understand what's going on to the vet. The vet Mm -hmm. is recommending a bunch of things, and they don't know exactly how to get around the issue. So every time we can show that, yeah, this is helping and we have more evidence that is truly helping customers, then, yeah, we love those stories. And, and new customers also love to hear those stories that gives them confident that what we are doing will help the pets.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, people definitely love, the, I mean, for the most part, I, I I can't say that I know any pet owner that does not treat their pet as if it's a family member or sometimes even yeah. better than some of the family members, if we're being honest. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, We have many customers that joke about it saying, yeah, I'm working to feed my pet and yeah, my pet is eating better food than me. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so let, let me, let me ask another question because uh, obviously when you start talking about uh, regular purchases and we all have talked about kind of like food inflation and the cost of feeding yourself, when, when you look at pricing your product, How do you view it as uh, in regards to the products that are currently in market, the processed foods from a from a price to value standpoint?
1: Yeah, there is also a big range in prices for the the other offers out there. Uh, You can find some really cheap that are yeah like mainly rice or flour with flavoring. Mm -hmm. And then you have some more advanced ones that are like uh, mainly meats or dehydrated meats and a bit more premium. Uh, I would say our pricing is around, uh, let's say, between 1 to 10, I would say an 8. Uh, comparing to the premium ones, we are a bit cheaper. And comparing to the the really cheap ones, we are, we are a bit more expensive. Um, what we try to do is that we have this subscription where it gets cheaper for people who can commit to a longer period. Mm-hmm. And most of our customers, they will come, they will try it at the regular price. And then after like one or two months, they will upgrade for the yearly plan. And then it gets more competitive. And our ambition is to try to make it more cheap as we go. And and because we don't want to be like a company feeding the rich pets. You know, we want to be a company that is truly having an impact on as many pets as we can. Right. So as soon as we are bigger and we can start buying like uh, more ingredients, like at scale, and we can yeah. have more machines to produce faster. We will be able also to decrease the price sure. and to hopefully help more and more people. So okay. our intention is to, to do it as affordable as we can without compromising quality and health of, of the pets. Right. So yeah, we don't use any fillers or any, like uh, any of those, uh, any ingredient that is not truly adding nutrition to them sure
0: sure sure but you're're you're, you're not overpriced for the market you're pr- you're price competitive you're you're not you're not the highest out there you're with it within the upper upper range as you end up getting the scale on being able to bur- bulk purchase ingredients as you scale up your manufacturing you can likely lower that down as well but you're also getting the benefits uh, to the consumers of the value of healthy food the value of the convenience of the subscription that's just on kind of autopi getting delivered to the home these sort of factors i imagine play quite well i know me myself forgetting to restock the pet food and then having to say oh man now i need to make that extra trip out to the store is a is a bit of an inconvenience
1: yeah no definitely definitely that's why our retention is quite good after Mm. the the trial people really stick around for the long term Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. And so what's next for you? Obviously, I I imagine scaling up the number of subscribers, but when you look at kind of perhaps geographically or product line, what's next for Pet Chef?
1: There are many three directions of of what we want to do. One is to expand to other markets. We are looking into Thailand. Uh, If everything goes well, we will try to open there at some point this year. Um, And hopefully, like our dream is to do it as as many places as we can. Uh, So hopefully expand to to new countries and new markets. Even inside Malaysia right now, we are doing Johor and Penang. And -hmm. we hope to to be able to serve other cities as well. Then the second line is around creating more products, like new recipes and different type of food. Like some people prefer raw food. Mm -hmm. Other people prefer to have something that is dehydrated, that is a bit more convenient than frozen. So expand all the the products and and also with the probiotics and toppers and mm-hmm. different snacks, everything that will will help in the the nutrition aspect. Uh, we are not interested in going with toys and shampoos and grooming and all of that. Mm-hmm. We want to stick to to great nutrition. Um, and the last one is we want to add more value to subscribers with. Building spaces where they can go with their pets and hang out there and have like, especially here in Malaysia, most pets are inside the apartment all the time. And there are not many pet friendly places, Mm. especially for dogs that need more space. There are a few parks that if it's too hot or rainy, that's it. Uh, and there are a few pet cafes and small places, but usually the pet is on like the dog is on a leash next to sure. the owner, they cannot be around.
0: Can't run so around. we want
1: to try to build more more spaces for the community so they can enjoy more time with their pets. Yeah. Uh, the and the more too hot services and rainy like,
0: basically describes Malaysia all the time though.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And many of the Southeast Asian countries, right? Singapore yeah. is the same and Thailand, yeah. so yeah. it's, yeah.
0: it's yeah. a
1: common a common <laughs> issue. Yeah. And adding on top of the community, we want to add more more services like free consultation with vets or with okay. behaviorists. Uh, so try to add more more value on top of the the subscription.
0: Okay, really centered around that healthy living because the you know the healthy food is the one side of it. But when you talk about the other sorts of services, the behavior or the nutritionist, that's kind of more of the holistic uh, health. Sort of side of it, not including what the what the vet does, but kind of the other other components of healthy living for a pet, yeah
1: yeah and and for me, you know, maybe it's a bit uh, too hippie or idealistic from my side, you know, but my my vision or my my motivation with pet chef is it's not just about pets living healthier, but I do believe that it's about the bond between people and their pets, mm-hmm. you know you have cats and your daughters are growing up with cats if they love those cats, probably when they are older, they will not be hurting other animals in the streets. Probably Mm -hmm. they will not be trashing around. They will be somehow more more aware of nature and the environment around them because they love their cats. They grew up with cats. So in the future, when your daughters are deciding, I don't know, they they will be leading an organization or whatever they will end up doing, Mm -hmm. they will have a a better relationship with nature and they will not be trashing the planet as we are doing right now. So in the long term, We are doing this because we want to to reconnect with nature with our pets to fall in love with our pets Mm -hmm. again uh so we we can do a bit better for the planet in in general
0: i I think that i think that's a really interesting point about the connection with nature that's that's found via uh, your relationship with your with your pets um i I do want to touch on when you when you start talking about being in johor when you start talking about being in penang and expanding into thailand are you able to, manu- to, to manage this out of like a central kitchen or do you need to localize the food, the, the, the food manufacturing process closer to the geography where you're operating?
1: Okay. Inside Malaysia, what we are doing is we produce it in, in Kuala Lumpur and then we send to a distribution center and then we send to the customers from there mm-hmm. For the other countries. Um, our ideal plan was we will raise a lot of money from investors, then we will build like a factory, and then we will export to the different countries of so the economies of scale. Uh, but because that's not happening, we are bootstrapping our way there. And <laughs> then we are building our own kitchens there. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, with a partner. So for Thailand, we get a partner. They will follow our SOPs, our recipes. Mm-hmm. And then we do the marketing from here. And we partner also for the delivery. And then as the country is scaling, we build our own kitchens. Okay. In the long term, we would like to have all centralized in one place, so we can, yeah, use proper, like, economy of scale for ingredients, but also for the machines to produce everything sure, in a more sure. effective way.
0: Yeah, but there's I, a certain the amount of like operating is, hours of series B, probably
1: or mm. series C. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: Beyond Thailand, what 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 do you what do you think would be beyond that? Do you do you have kind of a game plan, or are you just kind of laser focused on that near and present?
1: Um, we are going based on opportunities and, and exploring. So mm-hmm. actually, yesterday one of my teammates met a, like a guys that they run a kitchen in Singapore, and we started talking. Hey, will you be interested in doing this? And it seems like they they are open to the idea. So we are kind of trying to find the right partners in in each market, and then when we find them, uh, it's quite easy for us to replicate the technology, to put some some budget uh, for marketing, and grow it there. So I guess we are going based on the opportunities we find. So we were kind of like talking to people and, and seeing how to grow. Uh, same for Malaysia. Like we are trying to scale more channels and get more partners. Um, yeah. It's a bit chaotic, but, but it's working. It's working for us a, yeah. a bit. Uh, but I don't know, lately based in, in relationships, sometimes you find the right people who who is aligned with your values and with your ambitions and end up sure. working better than, yeah.
0: Yeah, I th- I think I think the trends are behind you in regards to how people are prioritizing their pets. It seems like the spend per pet just keeps on uh, going up as more people are treating it as 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 family members. Let me wrap up here with my final closing questions. It's been a great conversation, but I want to I want to wrap up here with the last couple of questions that I ask everyone. The first is what is a tech tool that you just cannot live without
1: you know asana is this tool for mm. for planning your days and collaborating with people yeah i cannot live without it i start my day and i see what i need to do i reorganize my priorities i delegate to my team with that uh, i have a lot of reminders in there notes so it's um, a really good tool yeah
0: Excellent, excellent. And the last question here is, if you were to talk to another startup founder that is just getting going, what would be the biggest piece of advice that you could offer?
1: That one is a bit tricky. You know, I I think it depends a lot on the context of the entrepreneur, but something that at least... For me, this stage in my life is quite important. is is to do stuff that is meaningful to you, mm-hmm. that is aligned to a bigger purpose. If your motivation is I want to be an entrepreneur because I want to make money, or is I'm an entrepreneur because it's cool, it's probably not the right motivation. So before you get started, try to to do your inner work to really understand like the problem I'm trying to solve is something that is meaningful to me. Or I'm trying to solve it because I believe there is a market opportunity and some people is making money out of whatever mm-hmm. it is. Because I see like now, I don't know, chat GPT is trending and people, like, yeah, yeah, let's do it because chat GPT, yeah, the next one will make a lot of money, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. is that meaningful to you? Like, will you be happy building that company? Will you be like excited to go to the office every day? Sure. Will you keep going when the times get harder? Because there will be harder times, right? Mm. Uh, will you be able to inspire your team when when things are are difficult? And if you are not connected to a bigger purpose or something that is bigger than making money, it will be a really lonely and and difficult journey. And life is too short to be working in something that is not uh, great for you. So yeah, try to do something that is is aligned to your purpose and your soul.
0: Yeah, very true. It's it's incredibly difficult to build the startup. So you have to do something where you have that sort of passion, the internal motivation to do it. I think that's fantastic advice. Well, Martin, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming and joining us here. Uh, I'm sure everyone listening has really learned a lot. And those pet owners that are out there, I'm sure are going to be looking up who Pet Chef is uh, and going through and hopefully uh, taking care of their own furry friends
1: oh thank you so much uh, for doing this for inviting me and for sharing the stories of many founders from this part of the world Uh, highly appreciate what you are doing for all of us
0: excellent thank you very much all right that wraps it up for another fantastic episode of the sea of startups if you've enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend Go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin from Indelible Ventures, and this is The Sea of Startups.